science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. There's antimony, arsenic, aluminum, selenium, and hydrogen and oxygen and nitrogen and rhenium, and nickel, neodymium, neptunium, germanium, and iron, americium, ruthenium, uranium, europium, zirconium, lutetium, vanadium, and lanthanum, and osmium, and astatine, and radium, and gold, protactinium, and indium, and gallium. And iodine, and thorium, and thulium, and thallium. Well, uh, I think our time will fly today as well, because we're going to have a little fun. We're going to talk to Sandra Phillips, and many of you will remember Sandra from her column in the Gazette, Shopping Montreal, and a book also directing you where you can buy stuff, and um, also uh, with her husband Stan, that they wrote a book about what to do when you're driving down I-95 going to Florida looking for a little warmth. All of the interesting stuff at the exits and where you can eat and museums that you can uh, look at. And uh, they still do this. And uh, you know they're going down this year and I'm sure that they will find some new uh, restaurants and uh, new places of interest that we will learn about. But uh, I found out that uh, Sandra's father used to work on Broadway as a prop man. And because of that, she has uh, inherited a number of props from Broadway. And I have a particular passion for Broadway, so I always like to chat about that, hear about some of these uh, artifacts, some of the shows that her uh, father uh, may have uh, worked in. So Sandra will uh, join us uh, just a bit later. Uh, but uh, first, um, I want to address the issue that we've been dealing with uh, here over the past few years and, and something that I've spoken about often, misinformation. You know, we've, we've been stuck uh, indoors a lot of the time because of, of COVID. And uh, that has spawned all kinds of, of uh, arguments of, about that the lockdown should not have happened, vaccines are not safe, and uh, people like Elon Musk have, have even suggested that uh, Dr. Tony Fauci should be prosecuted. I mean, to me, this is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Dr. Fauci was the font of solid information uh, giving, uh, keeping us up to date on what is happening and what uh, are the right things to do, given the information available at the time. And that is really what science is all about. We go by the knowledge that we have at any given point in time. We don't claim to be all knowledge knowledgeable, to know everything about an issue, because science changes. And uh, as science changes, opinions change. So, you know, looking back in time, uh, vision, backwards vision, as we say, is always 2020. But all we can say is that we go by the evidence. And as the evidence changes, our opinion, our advice also will change. And that, that is to be expected. That's how science works. So, yes, it probably is true that not everything that Dr. Fauci said in retrospect turned out to be totally correct, although I think most most of the things he said did turn out to be uh, correct. He was certainly right about the nonsense about hydroxychloroquine or uh, ivermectin, that these were ineffective. Uh, he had a very difficult time when he was uh, on with uh, President Trump 
uh, you know, standing uh, by while Trump was telling people uh, that uh, uh, we should be looking at cleaning the body inside with with uh, bleach or or with light, and he just had to you know bite his lip as he was you know uh, listening to to all this stuff. And uh, so the the reason that I, I bring this up is because it's important to understand that yes, science makes mistakes, but that is all part of the progress of science. And you have to remember that at one time uh, we thought that the Earth was the center of the universe, or then that the sun was. And of course, it took time until science uh, showed is not the way it is. Um, much more recently, I think many of you know the story of Barry Marshall, who first suggested that ulcers were caused by a bacterium, Helicobacter pylori. And uh, the scientific community uh, said, well, well, you know, what is this? What kind of nonsense is, is that? We know what causes ulcers. It, it's stress. It's, it's too much acid in your stomach. And you got to de-stress yourself or take an antacid. But of course, it turned out that he was right. And he showed it by actually infecting himself with the bacterium and uh, triggering some gastroenteritis and curing himself with an antibiotic. And this began a series of studies, proper randomized controlled double-blind studies that showed that antibiotic therapy 80% of the time is the correct treatment for duodenal ulcers. So science changes, and that is all part and parcel of the game. And I know that I, I, um, uh, I'm always aware of that, of course, because not everything that I've said over the years uh, uh, turned out to be totally uh, correct. Uh, when artificial sweeteners first came out, aspartame, for example, uh, I, I was all gung-ho on them. But uh, things have changed because now we have learned more. For example, aspartame, a very interesting substance. Uh, it's uh, the artificial sweetener you find in Diet Coke and in Diet Pepsi. And uh, it is uh, so-called because it is made from aspartic acid. And aspartic acid itself comes uh, is found in asparagus, although it's not extracted from asparagus to make aspartame. But that's the interesting connection between uh, Diet Cola, Diet Coke, and, and uh, asparagus is, is aspartic acid. Well, uh, I've you know, followed the artificial sweetness story very closely uh, over the last uh, 40 years. And now I, I know things that I didn't know then. For example, at that time, nobody knew anything about the relationship between bacteria in our gut, the microbiota, and uh, general health, like, like uh, anxiety or the immune system. Today, we know a lot. And it turns out that some artificial sweeteners will have an effect on the microbiome. And this can have an effect on the overall uh, health. So as science plods on, taking small steps at a time, we continue to, to learn and we change the advice that we give. And uh, uh, it isn't uh, correct to classify what Dr. Fauci may have said early on as being some sort of criminal activity because it didn't turn out to be correct, which is, of course, what Elon Musk su suggests. I, I, I just don't understand that because, I mean, Musk 
must have some intelligence. Obviously, he's done pretty well. Uh, but in this area, I mean, it's just shocking that he would come up with a, a, a statement uh, like that. So hopefully in the coming year, we will have less misinformation to deal with. But right now, we're primed for some fun. And we're going to speak to Sandra Phillips. We're going to talk about uh, good shopping Montreal, driving down I-95, and going to Broadway. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Life's everyday mystery solved. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. As I mentioned, my guest is Sandra Phillips. And many of you will remember her from uh, the Gazette, where she wrote a column on smart shopping in Montreal, a book on the same thing. And she's also written a book with her husband, Stan, on uh, what to do when you're driving to Florida on I-95. And uh, today we're going to have a little bit of fun with Sandra. We're going to talk a little bit of shopping, a little bit of driving, and a lot about Broadway. Because something that you probably don't know, and I didn't know, that Sandra's father worked on Broadway. And I love Broadway. So we're going to have some interesting discussions. So welcome to the show, Sandra. Hi there. So uh, let's, uh, first of all, get to your uh, uh, former bread and butter, which was the Smart Shopping Montreal. Uh, right. When you wrote a column, you wrote a book. And uh, what I want to ask you is, uh, how did uh, shopping online, you know, Amazon and all of that, how did that change your uh, approach to, to shopping? Because, of course, you were always telling people which store to go to, etc. And then uh, this uh, elephant appeared in the room. So how right. did that affect what you were doing? No, it's really interesting because my book is all about shopping local, supporting your neighbors, supporting the people who live in Montreal, keeping all the money in the community. And things now have come full circle. Uh, and people realize that it really is important that you support the people who are around you. It, it's been a terrific turn of events where there's actual sh you know, shopping days for your local stores now and things like that. Well, um, you know, I'm, I'm right back where I started from. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> Things often tend to come full circle, right? Right. Anyway, and, and, so... And it's uh, a whole thing about, you know, wasting money on the packaging and wasting money on the shipping and wasting money on the gasoline and the whatever it is to get that package to your house when you could just get it yourself. Now, talking about the gasoline, your other venture was... Uh, uh, online information and a book about uh, what to do when you're driving down south along I-95 to Florida and all of the exits which have interesting things and restaurants where you should you should eat. So obviously you've done that drive a lot. Yeah, we've been doing it for 20 years and it's over a thousand exits and we get off every single one every year and we have so much fun. I never realized what what there was so many things to do in small town America. Uh, and the eating, oh my gosh, there's so many local foods, you know, not everything is homogenized. <laughs> and uh, we have things we pine for when we when we travel south or north. Such as? 
um, my husband loves burger cookies in Baltimore. So it's a little local bakery that makes, if you, if you imagine the chocolate icing on a cake and you would take a whole giant scoop of it and put it on a shortbread cookie, kind of a messy scoop, and you're just biting into the, all that icing. Or there's um, Southern Soul barbecue sauce. We go to this gas station on St. Simon's Island and buy mother's recipe and and things like that where the tastes it's the taste you remember often from your youth and from travels and we can still get them and i remember seeing something in your book about a polish restaurant somewhere along the way i don't remember where it was yes but but i know that those are the kind of things that that you know people really find interesting because uh, it's not Right. It's not only American food. There's a, there's a, a great story about a, a Thai restaurant in South Carolina. The Polish restaurant was in Connecticut. You don't realize that there are other kinds of tastes along the way. Hamburgers, hot dogs, and you know, French fries. So tell me, uh, what would you say is the most interesting or perhaps surprising thing that you ever found along I-95 that, that people might know? Well... There's a lot of answers to that. Um, some of them are stories like, for instance, Eli Whitney. All we know about him is that he invented the cotton gin. But in writing North and South about him, we discovered he went to, G- he went to Yale, and then he went on to this plantation, and he figured out how to uh, figure out how cotton can be separated, uh, the seeds from the cotton, and then he went back up north, and he totally revolutionized the um the the idea of a factory and each person doing one thing in a factory so he was an amazing man oh he, or he really in was in terms of attractions i didn't know people could own zoos and there was a couple of private zoos along the way that we went to um so we would find out just amazing little trivia and things a, an atomic bomb fell in south carolina um, you know, who who would know that? <laughs> the people who Mars were under Mars Bluff. I, Mars Bluff, I think, was the name of it. Eli Whitney was a really interesting character. And, you know, he told the story of how the idea of the uh, cotton gin came to him when he saw a cat clawing at a chicken through a chicken wire fence. And the cat came away with some some feathers. And this uh-huh. gave him the idea of, uh, of uh, putting nails into a drum rotating right. that drum so that these nails would pluck the cotton off of the, the cotton ball. So right. that's, uh, you know, Eli Whitney really was something. And I think anyway, what Sandra. happened also was that he, he didn't take the time to get a patent on it. So I think all the other plantation owners kind of stole the idea quickly, and that's when he ran back up north and worked on the assembly line. And I think he made all his money, oh, God, selling guns. <laughs> Yeah, and there's another sort of downside to the story, and uh, that is that um, the planting of cotton became so uh, profitable that right. uh, it increased the slave trade because right. the, the southern farmers uh, then needed more hands in order to uh, pick the cotton before it would right. be put into the cotton gin. It's interesting, right. um, you know, how... It, it's a, one of these examples when you start looking into a story, it always becomes more interesting and always becomes more complicated. Right. Anyway, um, uh, talking about stories that are interesting. Uh, 
I didn't know about your dad working on, on Broadway. And uh, so this is going to get us into a whole different area because uh, uh, I know that both you and I uh, like Broadway. We like going to, to shows. We like to look behind the scenes to find out really what, uh, what it is all about. And uh, I know that you've got some interesting stories that, that uh, uh, you've heard from, uh, from your father about that. And that's what we're going to tantalize our audience with. But before we do that, we've got to take a short break here and uh, see what is happening in the world. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Science you can use. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. We're back with Sandra Phillips. Uh, you remember her from Smart Shopping Montreal and her books about driving down I-95. We were chatting about that, and Sandra says she's got a couple of other stories that uh, I think you will find interesting. So fire away. Um, uh, you've heard of the Kosciuszko Bridge in New York City? Um, he was yeah, I've heard of it. Uh, okay, then then there's also the Verrazano's Bridge. And Verrazano was uh, an explorer who explored up and down the east coast of uh, the U.S. and other places. And so he uh, went up and down, I think he did about three trips to the New World, and then he was on his way back home. Uh, he wanted to say, you know, see his wife and kids. And he stopped off in one of the um, Caribbean islands, and, you know, he got off the boat, you know, hi, guys, I'm here. And he got eaten by cannibals. <laughs> so that's how he died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a tantalizing story, I must say. <laughs> yeah, we certainly didn't know about that one. Uh, all right, and you had one more? Oh, no, it, it was just, uh, uh, no, we'll just go on. Okay. All right. So now back to the Broadway issue. So what what did your father actually do on Broadway? Uh, my my father was called a prop master. So um, basically, he had to find or build props that fit in with the storyline of the show. Now I know that you told me that uh, you have some of these things. And the one yes. that, that really tickled my mind was the Golden Helmet of Mambrino, which comes from uh, uh, the show Man of La Mancha, uh, tells the story of Don Quixote, uh, and uh, it's got some wonderful music in it. Uh, I, I really I, I, I love that show. I, I think just about every song in it is is good. Of course, the, the Impossible Dream is the great song that comes from that show but uh what about this golden helmet of mambrino tell us about that i think you have a better story about it <laughs> well <laughs> that, that you wrote about you're going to tell them your story well I, okay I'll, I'll quickly recap my story then you can tell me how you got your hands on on the actual prop so the uh, uh don quixote of um uh, of course uh fancies himself as as the knight who is uh, going to save women from all kinds of bad things and and uh, uh, fight off monsters 
he believed that the windmill is a giant that he has to 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 fight. So there's a lot of you know imagination in in the story. And one of the things that he has to imagine is that he has a, a golden helmet because knights, of course, wear helmets. But his golden helmet is actually a shaving basin that he then puts on his head. And uh, I guess that is what you actually have in your possession, the, one of the ones that they used in the show. Right. So that would be the kind of thing my father would have to create because they can't kind of go into a store and buy a shaving basin these days. So what he 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 did was he he took um it's kind of a hard plasticized um object and then he would cut the the circle you need to put your chin or your neck in to the shaving basin and then he would have to kind of spray paint it the right color then he would have to kind of spray paint it a little bit of black to make it look smudgy and old and whatever. And the reason they would use the plastic instead of the metal is because they didn't want it clanging around if they had to put it down on the table. And it's very lightweight if he has to wear it on his head. So they have to think about all those things when they do it. Right. Now, I, I assume there was more than one of these because they, right. they wouldn't have created just one for the show. In case something happens to it, they would have had to have a standby. <laughs> Helmet. Right. Uh, yeah, they would do quite a few. There would be definitely, you know, two or three backups for 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 each thing, for for each thing, for each of their costumes, each of their shoes, on and on and on. So, what were some of the famous shows that he uh, worked on? Um, well, he started in '58, and believe it or not, he did the first show with James Earl Jones, who did his debut that year on Broadway. But um, the Sound of Music was a big part of her life because he worked with Mary Martin and her husband's production company for years. And um, I would—I was actually allowed to sit, stand on the stage behind the Presidium Arch and watch that show for um, like seven different times. So I really got to know the kids, and and uh, it was really a good part of my upbringing. It, it no, ran so a long you time. You saw Mary but... Martin fly. Excuse me. You saw Mary Martin fly. Did of course. Well, that was Peter Pan. She flew. He he also worked on Peter Pan. He built the shutters for Peter Pan, going in and out of the bedroom. Um, in the in the Sound of Music, I saw her get dressed for her wedding gown uh, when ah. I would stand where I was standing. It would be stand. It would be hanging high on the ceiling, and it would come right right down over her, so she could walk on stage with it. But um, our house was decorated sort of in early Broadway. So there were all kinds of pieces that Dad would bring home. Like he did a show called Mr. President, which didn't last a long time, but I have a presidential seal on my wall. Or he did um, The Conquering Hero with Tom Poston, so I have a, a bugle from that show. Um, and um, Alan Alda um, did The Owl and the Pussycat with Diane Sands. And from that one, I have a phrenology head. So um, our, our house had very, very interesting objects in it. Oh, well, phrenology head. That, would, that is one of those things that does interest me because I've, I've written about that. I've spoken about that. Uh, for those people who don't know, phrenology was sort of a, a quack science. People believed that you could kind of feel around for bumps on the head, on the skull, and that would have insight into people's uh, character. And it was quite a big thing in the early part of the 1900s. 
So uh, that that must be a very interesting uh, souvenir to to have. Okay, but Sandra, I'm something have to bring else. It over. Yeah, I'd like to see well, it. Well, Man of La Mancha, there's, there's a lot of my will from that because he had to create so many things. So I have um, Richard Kiley's helmet that he wore there, and I have swords um, from the show, and I have some pieces of the leather vests and things that they wore from the show. So there was a lot around here because it also it ran a lot of years. It also ran right. all over the world, like Japan. Uh, all over the place. Oh, it was a great show. I, I saw it uh, at Place des Arts. I guess it must have been 45 years right. ago. Um, yeah. he, he did and, Bob Anyway, Fosse Sandra, dance. something else I wanted to ask yeah. you about, because I know that you recently went to New York and you saw the Broadway Museum, which is just yes. new. So I want to ask you about that. But first, we've got to take a little break and see what traffic is doing on out there. You're listening to The Dr. Joe Show. Your source when you need answers. The Dr. Joe Show on CJAD 800. Back with Sandra Phillips, and we're talking Broadway, which is something I, I love to, to talk about. And Sandra, you just uh, uh, went to New York and you saw the new Broadway Museum, which has just uh, opened. So I'd really like to hear what uh, that experience was like. First of all, where it is. Well, and it's right off Broadway. It's on 145 West 45th Street, um, and they took one of these older buildings and um, left all those rooms intact. So it's kind of like a treasure hunt where you start on the third floor and you wend your way down with a group of eight to ten people and go from room to room, and you see the history, uh, you learn the history of Broadway from um, you know the words on the wall and lots and lots of photos and things. Like you learn how... The Ziegfeld Follies, the Spanish Boleros, the French Can Can, the Black Minstrel shows, all were the forerunners of what became Broadway musicals. And it's uh, visuals or or artifacts or how it, is it all It's mostly organized? photographs and um, and and big descriptive. Um, uh, words on the wall of, of the history of each piece of it. But you will see things like, you know, there's uh, the Lion King, how how they taught the actors to walk like animals and like Annie's dress or kinky boots or phantom costumes. And, and there are a few sets, like you can um, get behind the West Side Story docks um, counter in the uh, soda shop and you can dance in front of a screen and pretend you're doing West Side Story um, for um, um, the the making of a Broadway show, they do a whole wall of all the different parts and pieces. I love the fact that one of the rooms is actually, um, they make it dark so you feel like you're backstage and they show how the, all the other backstage uh, workers work on the show. So that was uh, a special for me. Yeah, I, this is something I'm always intrigued by, you know, is everything that happens uh, backstage and, and uh, you know, it's, it's like a, a whirlwind of operations back there that the audience, of course, uh, never gets to see and, and uh, right. doesn't know anything And, and they about. highlight, like, a few of the shows that change the, the Broadway musical. Showboat was one, Oklahoma hair, chorus line, you get to dance in a mirrored room. And um, and also, I never knew that the, the two men, Moss Hart and Kurt Weil, 
um, in around 1940, sat down and they started to rethink all those kind of um, folly shows that went on before them. And they really wanted to create something where both the music and the lyrics were part of the story. And they were the ones who actually kind of started the Broadway musical. And the first one was called Lady in the Dark. So that was something I Mm -hmm. learned there. But uh, I think, you know, one of the first shows that really used uh, the songs to move the story ahead instead of just, you know, stopping the story, singing a song and then getting back to the story was Oklahoma. Right. Yes, in, they, de- they definitely focus it on Oklahoma. There's um, one room dedicated to the lyrics of Oklahoma, so you're right about that. And um, they also talk about Showboat, how it lifted the spirits of America during World War II because it focused on America and the greatness of the country. Um, so they, they, they also um, do a good job of representation of other cultures that fed into Broadway making the Broadway show. You know, the first Broadway show I saw was Camelot with Julie Andrews, Robert Goulet, and Richard Burton. And uh, of course, it's it's a wonderful show. I still love that show. Great music. And uh, but what I remember is, in retrospect, how primitive the staging was. It was basically the backgrounds were drop curtains, and right. actually, as I recall, there were a couple of times in the show where the curtain actually closed so that they would change the scene. Right. I mean, that's that would be unheard of today, right? Exactly. And uh, the the technology, of course, that has has evolved, and the, the sets today, uh, of course, are so spectacular, which which indeed is one of the problems because the shows have become so complex and so expensive uh, that the ticket prices, of course, have had to be raised tremendously, and uh, that excludes a lot of people from going to the theater. No, the the reason that Phantom is is closing is because uh, unless they have a sellout for every show, they it just doesn't pay. You know, it's wow. it's very expensive to drop that chandelier with every show, and, uh, and that, yeah, and that was my would have been my father's job. <laughs> right, right. So, um, no, and then you you the, could take a show like Come From Away which pretty well does the whole show with chairs. Yes, and, and it you, does it extremely can, well. Extremely yes, you can well. still get a fabulous show, and it doesn't have to have all the gizmos. Yeah, absolutely, and Come From Away is a classic example of that, of what you can do with, with good songs. Uh, of course, they had a very good story, <laughs> which, you know, especially for us here in Canada, was a really right. good, good story. I think it's actually coming back to Place des Arts again. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one of, one of the, the, the problems with all of these now is, is the cost. And, and really, uh, the average person has a hard time, you know, going to a Broadway show, taking their kids. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're talking at thousand dollars to right know, now, four people you, to we have to, show. to tell them about the TKTS. Um, booths where you can get tickets. You can buy, buy them online as well. And they're supposed to be, I don't know, 30 to 50% off. 
So yeah. that's one way to cut your costs. That is, a and bit. and you know, it it used to be TKTS always was fifty percent off. <laughs> now some are fifty percent, as you said, some are thirty, some are twenty. But uh, yes, you can get them cheaper. But you know, the fact is that even at fifty percent, it's pretty expensive because the uh, the prices for those shows run two hundred fifty three hundred dollars. So even even at fifty percent, right. it's, it, it's it's a shame because of. The- I do also have, I don't know how you do it, there are these $39 tickets for students and lower income people to make sure they are able to Yeah, I think you have to go and stand in line at 10 o'clock in the morning at the theater. Yeah, so there is a way if you really want to do it, you can do it. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of Broadway shows are available on YouTube. Uh, or on one of the streaming services. And, you know, you can watch West Side Story, the new version already uh, there. Uh, so, you know, and people can still be exposed to it. But there's still nothing like going to the theater. The atmosphere is different. Uh, you know, when you're seeing something live, it's not the same as watching it on TV, even if you have a large screen, you know. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's an electricity that's hard to describe is. unless there you're is. sitting there and feeling it. So, Sandra, anyway, we are unfortunately out of time, but it was great chatting with you. And uh, I look forward to going down to New York and, and uh, wending my way through the, the museum. I think it should be a lot of fun. So thanks a lot for joining us here today and uh, have a good time when you go to Broadway. Okay, break a leg. Thank you. Okay, and that's it. We are smack out of time. But we'll be back with you same time, same station next week. Until then, I'm Joe Schwartz, hoping all the chemistry in your life comes out just right. And cadmium and calcium and chromium and curium. There's sulfur, californium, and fermium, berkelium, and also mendelevium, einsteinium, nobelium, and argon, kryptonium, radon, xenon, zinc, and rhodium, and chlorine, carbon, cobalt, copper, tungsten, tin, and sodium. These are the only ones of which the news has come to Harvard. And there may be many others, but they haven't been discovered. 